We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with my co-host, Robin Jones-Gunn. Hello. And I'm really excited, Robin, because you have a special friend who is calling in. And you've been talking about this special friend for a long time. I have, yes. She's one of your favorite writers. Yes, yes. um, And she writes historical Christian fiction. Yes, and I've been eager for you to meet her and all our listeners right. to now meet her. That's right. So I'm I'm actually reading one of her books right now. So wonderful. It, it's it started, you know. <laughs> so it's about a I can't remember the title, but it's about a slave girl. So oh no no I'm sorry it's about Aquila and Priscilla. So well, I, I chose that of you know of I I was on Amazon like which one do I want? Yes. So I I would like you to introduce our listeners to your friend. This is my precious friend, Tessa Afshar. Is that right, Tessa? It's perfect. Okay. <laughs> I do switch those letters around sometime. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because of that love for stories that you have that Cheryl and I share. And so when you and I met, I have to tell how we were at a gathering for um, our literary agents had a get together for all their authors. And the first night we were supposed to just mingle, network, meet new people. You and I connected right away. We found a corner. We sat down. We didn't meet anybody else. We couldn't stop talking. And it was stories. We just oh, felt like that. we had the kindred spirit connection right then. And, um, at that time, I think I was uh, on the board for Media Associates International, which is a ministry that provides support and training for writers and publishers in difficult places in the world. And now you are on the board with MAI, Media Associates International. So our journey has been full circle in many ways, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. So this is my friend, Tessa. I'm so excited, Tessa. But I want to hear your story because um, Robin was saying that you grew up in the Middle East. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Hello, Robin and Cheryl. And it's such a joy to be with you and your listeners. Uh, It's true. I was born in the Middle East in the land of Nehemiah and Esther. Mm. My parents were nominal Muslims. And um, I lived there until I was almost 14 years old. I think some of your listeners are going to be curious about what's a nominal Muslim, because of course, you know, when we watch TV, we're not really given much detail about that. We are given different kinds of visuals, but a lot of people in the Middle East, or at least where I grew up, uh, still are nominal Muslims in that they don't necessarily adhere to the basics of Islam, such as praying five times a day or fasting during Ramadan. Um, if the women are given a choice, they wouldn't want to wear hijab, which is they, they, they wouldn't wear hair, head covering. And I think we've all seen images uh, recently that show how the women are trying to battle against that to try and gain mm-hmm. some freedom. Yes. When I grew up, it wasn't a requirement. When I grew up, women had that freedom to choose. Uh, my parents believed in God. So I grew up in a in a household where... It wasn't religious, but we did believe in God. So the really turning point 
moment in my life was when my parents were divorced when I was 13. And that caused my mom and my sister and I to leave uh, our country. And I ended up living in England with them and going to boarding school for girls at that time. So this was a tremendous loss. I, I don't know if any of you have ever kind of particularly at a young age, had to leave where you lived. Mm -hmm. But for me, it meant um, leaving behind my friends, my extended family, uh, leaving behind my uh, my food, my language, uh, my dog, uh, and most importantly, my dad, who mm -hmm. stayed behind because he was a radiologist and he still had a practice. And so he was still working. Mm. Um, now, I, you know, Again, I, I grew up believing in God, but I felt like all religions were the same and that I didn't need religion. That, that was sort of what I was inculcated with. Tessa, can I ask you a question? When you say God, are you talking about like you believe like there was like a creator, there must be some someone, some power behind everything you see? Or, you know, are you talking about Allah or are you talking about, you know, kind of the, um, you know, um, Yahweh, I mean, when you say you believe in God, because, you know, I've heard this, I, I've had, I had some Muslim neighbors who were Baha'i, and they were from Persia, and they were saying, oh, we believe in God, and I was trying to get at, like, the heart of it, like, what what do you mean by that? Yeah, and in fact, Baha'is are not considered Muslims, they are Baha'i, yeah. they are, they are followers of Baha, but... Um, yeah, I think if you asked me at that stage what I meant by God, I would have said an intelligent design, a, mm. a creative force mm. behind the universe. Ex yeah, I would have. I also believe that creative force was involved in the universe, so he mm -hmm. wasn't like a clockmaker maker who just wound up the world and walked away. Mm. But the problem was, even though I believed in a way in a personal God, because I didn't have a, a, the revelation of that personal God in Jesus, my concept of God was essentially that he liked what I liked, he disliked what I disliked, and he mm. changed his mind when I changed my mind. So, <laughs> um, you know, that, uh, but I was too young to really see these things in myself. Because my my concept of God was was coming from me rather than a, an external force. So uh, so at this time I started attending boarding school in England, which wasn't religious, but we were required to go to church every Sunday. And for those of us who were you know foreign girls with a different religion, we were told go sit upstairs in the balcony and read your own books of faith. Wow, which is the which would have been the Quran? Yeah, it would have been the Quran for us. Now, I, the Quran isn't like the Bible. I think a lot of non Christians don't understand this. Like for the Christian, the Bible is a central way we connect with God. It's a central way we're guided by Him. But for Muslims, the Quran is not one of the five tenets of Islam. So you can read it. But if you want it to be efficacious in a faith sort of a way, you have to read it in the original language, which is Arabic. And I did not speak Arabic. So for me, going upstairs and reading the Quran was just not tenable. But I was too shy to kind of have this conversation with my teachers. So I used to go upstairs and read 
romance novels. <laughs> I love it. So I sat in the balcony of the church every Sunday and read romance novels. <laughs> now, did you have to hide the book inside? Contraband, Something right? else? Like a hymn book I or something? I did. I did. Well, I, 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 I tucked it under my uniform when, when we walked to church. So nobody came to check on us but it was it was interesting my, i mean my sister went to the same school years later cuz she's eight and a half years younger and she had to sit downstairs mm. and she said she never heard the gospel either mm. even though she was in church mm-hmm. oh <laughs> wow that's a tragedy you know, yeah yeah sometimes i mean there there are churches where it's not about you just don't hear the gospel that's true so, but I, I obviously never heard the gospel. I did learn a few things about love, but I don't think it's quite what Jesus had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it wasn't until years later. I, I eventually I moved to the U.S. I went to college. This I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm an American citizen. This is really my home, and a home that I'm so grateful for. But, um, but. When I was 25, I went through a devastating experience that made me feel like an utter failure. Mm. You see, after my parents' divorce, I made a vow to myself because I was so hurt by that divorce. It really ripped my world apart. But I made a vow that I would never allow my own marriage to break up when I grew up, that um, even if I married the devil himself, I wouldn't divorce. And when you make a vow like that, it has a lot of power. Mm, What it's saying, you know, what it's saying is when you divorce, that that's the greatest failure that Mm. you can possibly have. Mm. Well, unfortunately, to my dismay, that's exactly what happened to me. After five years of marriage, my husband wanted a divorce. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing I could do to change his mind. I couldn't make myself pretty enough. I couldn't make myself interesting enough, winsome enough to win back his life. He was just his love. He was just that he wanted a divorce. Mm. And so I lost hope for a happy future because even though I hadn't grown up Muslim, I had grown up with a Muslim worldview. And this is what I mean by that. You see, in Islam, everything is achievement oriented. Even at the end of your life, your good deeds and your bad deeds are put in a scale, in a spiritual scale by God. And whichever one is heavier, that determines whether you go to heaven or hell. It's all up to you. There's no grace. And so it Uh encourages, it encourages this sort of, you come to this conclusion that it's up to you it's up to you to have the achievements. It's up to you to have the work to bring yourself happiness, to make yourself live a life of value. This whole life is up to you. And here you were with a high school teenage year uh, separation with your family. What a great, terrible loss. And it would immediately be viewed as a failure. And so you couldn't help, I'm sure, but feel some of the shame with that. Like, maybe I could have done something to help keep my mom and dad together. And then, what, a decade or so later, now you there's nothing you can do to hold your marriage together. Exactly. Exactly. So, there, so all of these conclusions, but at that moment of 
when my marriage broke up, they all came, like my whole world came tumbling down. And I realized in that moment, I cannot fix this. I cannot make my life what I dreamed of being. I cannot do it. And I, that, that happiness, like my chance at happiness is gone forever is the way I felt. And I had no gospel and I had no grace to undergird me. Wow. And I had no one inviting me to church. I had nothing. Yeah. And here you've been at boarding school in what would be considered a Christian nation. And then you moved to America, another at that time considered Christian nation. And yet you haven't yet heard about Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I'm sure I met Christians during that time. Uh, but I feel like people didn't want to offend me or, uh, you know, uh, be rude by talking about Jesus. Oh, that's interesting. Like an assumption that you wouldn't want to hear this. Yes. And it's possible that I wouldn't have, Mm. you know, but I, I just, but I never did hear the gospel. I didn't have the undergirding. But what I did have during this time was I had a dream of Jesus. Mm. Tell us, tell us. so this is the, this is the time now. My whole world has fallen apart. I don't know how to put it back together. I literally used to wake up in the morning already crying mm-hmm. with tears going down my face. And I had no way of figuring, figuring it out. I didn't know how to put my life back together. Well, in my dream, I was by the Sea of Galilee. And there were people there. And I knew these people are the followers of Jesus in the dream. And I saw a man walking toward me. And I knew that man was Jesus. Wow. He was kind of far away. So I was really curious to see what does Jesus look like. And as he came toward me, and you're going to laugh at me, it's very embarrassing. I'm probably the only person in the universe who's disappointed with Jesus for this reason. I mean, lots of people are initially disappointed with Jesus. I mean, <laughs> think about the whole country of Israel when he first came, but, I, but not for this reason. So the, the thing is, when he came toward me in the dream, I saw his face clearly. And the only really glimpse of Jesus I had had was during Easter and Christmas in England, they always used to show these two movies about Jesus. And in both versions, Jesus was very good looking (laughs) and, you know, very Hollywood good looking. Well, the Jesus of my dream was less than plain. Let's put it that way. Mm. He's very homely. And mm. I remember thinking, that's Jesus? <laughs> God couldn't do any better for his son? <laughs> and of course, it wasn't until about, uh, you know, months later when I finally began reading the Bible, when I discovered in Isaiah where right. God foreshadowed that it's, it, he will not be much to look at. And mm-hmm. that's not how God measures people anyway. But my little heart in that moment was like, that's Jesus? Mm-hmm. But as he drew closer to me and I was able to see his eyes in my dream, I forgot all of that silliness because in his eyes, I saw a depth of love, the likes of which none of us will ever measure on this mm-hmm. earth, except for tiny glimpses. Mm-hmm. The, that was the love that put him on the cross. Mm-hmm. But alongside that love, there was such power, the power that still holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And I knew that power and that love meant whatever he told me, 
whatever promise he made me, even if it seemed to be impossible, would come to pass. Mm. And the Jesus in my dream, um, go ahead. No, we're just marveling. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I I still marvel after all these years. But the Jesus of my dream, he he didn't speak to me, but he motioned to me to follow him. Mm. And in the dream, I think I realized he wasn't just saying, let's go for a walk right now. He was saying, follow me. Mm. And I will tell you, when you see Jesus face to face, you will follow him. Mm. Because that love and that indescribable power married together in one man are utterly beautiful and irresistible. So I followed him. And then um, eventually I woke up from this dream, not a Christian, but I had three days of unshakable peace. Mm. I say I wasn't a Christian because I still didn't know the gospel. I didn't understand my role. I didn't understand my response. But something broke in me, some stronghold under which I had been born was shattered. Wow. Because not long after that dream, I was surrounded by Christians who invited me to church, invited me to their home. They fed me. They loved me. They um, gave me a Bible, which I could not understand when I read for the life of me. Now, where did you meet these Christians? Uh, I... I well, let's see. One of them was my neighbor. Wow. One of them lived in the same town and just happened to meet me. Wow. Uh, and so it, it was just incredible. And yeah, like it, God was bringing them to you. Because I was ready now. Yes. Wow. But just my, the preciseness my, of that dream tiny. slash vision that and the the drawing you to him that Jesus did and the way you describe it as just being irresistible and that uniqueness that we've heard of others from the Middle East, Cheryl and I both in listening to stories for many years, that the Lord has chosen to have that kind of connection with those who then have just this sense, he wants me. Mm-hmm. I'm included. Mm-hmm. He came for me. Mm-hmm. Love that. Oh, <laughs> it's just incredible. Oh, yeah. And the timing th- of, of now yeah. you're ready for these believers to yeah. bring you in. This is just amazing. I'm marveling. Mm-hmm. I- I think that's my word for today, Marlene. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. I think one of the things that that is really beautiful with how God sort of manifests himself is, so you would think after that dream now, and these people would come to me and they would say, look, Jesus. And I would say, of course. But I didn't. I was still, my mind, my intellect was still very resistant. Wow. Uh, I, I, felt I couldn't, I, I still couldn't recognize the difference between Jesus and any other religion. And to me, religions, I, I, I had seen what it was doing to the Middle East, what it was doing to women. To me, all religions were the same. They were man-made and they were bad. Mm. Impressive, right? But I saw, 
you know, but I saw something in these people. I saw a love. I felt like the couple who were like um, um, a spiritual mother and father to me, they, they kept inviting me. They loved up on me. They kept feeding me amazing Middle Eastern food, you know, and they they should have had a terrible marriage by my standard because they had nothing in common. Mm. My parents had nothing in common. They were always fighting and in the end they divorced. Mm. These two, by my measure, by my standards of what I had seen, should also be constantly squabbling. Instead, they constantly walk around and told each other they loved each other and they Mm. were there for each other. Wow. They had what I had wanted and could not have. And I kept saying to them, what is it? Mm. And they kept saying, it's Jesus. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, besides that, what is it? Like, give me a list of do's and don'ts, you know? I just want that sheet. And they said, well, here's a Bible, read it. And then I would read about Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't give me a list, list of do's and don'ts. He would give me parables. And I was like, what are these? How do I apply this to my life? Because I didn't have the Holy Spirit activating in me yet, that word. Mm. But so I kept saying to them, okay, just, can you like give me the non-Jesus version of this, <laughs> this love that you have? And and they're like, it's impossible. It's Jesus who gives it to you. Wow. So finally one day I was saying to myself, 99.9% I am right and they're wrong because that's how arrogant I was. But 0.1% they're right and I'm wrong. Mm. But if that's the case, what am I missing here? And that's all Jesus needed. It was my 0.1%. And that's how I fell in love with Jesus, was on the strength of that 0.1%. But, you know, the, the, the body of Christ has such power mm. to reveal love to people who even, even like my parents were very loving people. Even Christians are in their love. That, that love is broken. No parent is perfect. No marriage is perfect. But still with the Holy Spirit, we're able to show something above our humanity, something above our own ability that those who do not have it fall in love with. Mm. So, so good. So now, um, how did you start growing in your faith? And, And then was there like a time that you prayed or just this dawning revelation that Jesus is real? Um, How did that come about? I think it was a both and for me. Mm. Yes, I, I, I think that I had started to pray to Jesus, but for me, it was more of a dawning revelation. Mm. I remember one time I was at a Christian retreat with my friends and this um, older pastor came to me and he, he, was, he had roomy eyes, so he couldn't see very clearly. And he kind of was squinting at me, his hand at his waist. And he said, so Tessa, when are you going to come to Jesus? Wow. And I opened my mouth to sort of just say something really light to kind of um, swat that question away because I I wasn't ready. I I felt like I was a long way away from saying yes. And I opened my mouth to say, oh, you know, I don't know when day becomes night or something, you know, some, some silly thing. And I opened my mouth and what I said was, I already have. Wow. Interesting. And I, I, I was so shocked <laughs> because it, was on, it wasn't until I said those words that I realized I meant them. And he was so shocked because he was 
absolutely expecting me to say, go away and leave me alone. <laughs> so I, I don't I, like we both stared at each other in utter awe and shock without words. And he was like, oh, well, then. And he walked away, you know, and that's you know, at that point, I made a decision to be baptized. I um, I invited my dad and my brother. I wrote my mom, who still lived in England, to say, you know, this is going on. My mother wrote me back because back back then, of course, this is before the days of cell phone and and um, FaceTime and all of that. So she wrote me back a six page handwritten letter, tear stained. Mm. Not because I was becoming a Christian, but why did I need religion? Why did I need this crutch? Why was I mm. becoming baptized? So, you know, and and my father, who was curious, my father could see the change in me after I started bec- like walking in Christ. So he was really curious. He would come to the Bible studies just to see what is this. But then he started reading the Bible. He would read from, like, he decided, like, how do you read a book? You read it from page one. So he started reading from Genesis. And, of course, his his scientific mind just could not contain all of this. And he he would sometimes throw the Bible over his head and start laughing and say, you seriously cannot believe in this. And I I understood because I'd been there. So I never argued them of where they were. I just would say, yeah, I know it's really hard. But then they would see the change. They would see that I loved in a different way. They would see that I forgave. They would see that I walked in peace. They would see I had joy when I had no reason to have joy from a world worldly standard. And so they kept being drawn. Like my, my sister was baptized. My father was baptized. Oh my, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. My, my brother is the last holdout and he's really, really going down hard. But Now, what about your mom? My mom, you know, again, what I realized was they cannot come to where I am. They do not have the Holy Spirit active. They cannot understand what I understand. They are going to object. And I have to be gracious in the midst of their objections. I cannot argue them into the Mm -hmm. kingdom. Absolutely. So So good. um, you know, so I couldn't invite them to church and all of that. I, what I needed to do was I needed to hang out where they wanted to hang out. Mm-hmm. My mother loves fashion. She loves shopping. So I would go shopping with her. Mm-hmm. And I would spend time where she needed time with me in order to feel loved, in order to feel mm-hmm. like God hadn't utterly divided us. Mm-hmm. And so in time, she, would start, she started letting me pray for her because she knew something changed when I prayed for her. And one time God healed her of a really bad migraine and she never got them again. Mm. So you are there just being the light of Jesus and it's irresistible once again. I keep thinking of, is it in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will complete it yeah. in the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians and he 1-6, began right? a good work in you. We want to hear the rest of the story. So... What do you say, Cheryl? Should we make this a two-part episode? We yeah, have to. I think we should leave them on this cliffhanger. Yes. Because, Tessa, <laughs> there's so much more to your story. And I want to I want to really get into and explore um, where you're at right now, uh, what you're doing, and how you got to the place where you're at now and what you're doing. Yes. So, um, I mean, 
what we prove in in part one is that you are definitely a woman worth knowing. <laughs> <laughs> and you love aren't stories. We all? Aren't yes. we all? <laughs> yes. yes. But, you know, I it's one thing just to receive the Lord and kind of go undercover. But God called you to a, a ministry that is really fascinating. And um, I, I can't wait for our listeners to hear uh, more about that. And, um, you know, we're get, we're and gonna, sort of the surprise of yes. how you ended up writing. That exactly. was not the original ideas right. you had. So That's right. we'll hear about that all in, in our second part. All in, all in part two. So we're going to leave you listeners with this cliffhanger. But Tessa uh, will be back with us um, next week and you'll get part two. So, um, and I think next week's going to be just as exciting. And, Absolutely. Um, what do, I, what do I want to say? Captivating as part one. So until next week, this is. Yeah, go ahead. I like it. Robin. Oh, Robin Jones gun. <laughs> it was like you were you were getting your engine started. Robin <laughs> and Cheryl Broderson with Tessa. Can't wait to be back with you next time. That's right. I'm looking forward to it. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn.